You're listening to Ramp, the Insight Squared podcast. This is Ramp, the SaaS analytics podcast brought to you by Insight Squared. Start improving your sales performance today. Visit www.insightsquared.com to learn how. What does heavy metal have to do with sales? Everything, according to Mark Birch. Mark is an enterprise software tech entrepreneur, sales executive, early stage startup investor, and heavy metal enthusiast based in New York City. He is the founder and organizer for the Enterprise Sales Meetup, a community that brings together B2B sales professionals and sales leaders for events to share ideas, network with peers, and learn about innovations in the field of sales. There are communities today in New York, Boston, D.C., Philadelphia, and soon to be launching in San Francisco and Denver. Before investing in and advising startups, he worked at top companies like Oracle, Epiphany, and Siebel across sales and sales management roles, both as an individual contributor and an executive. He explained that there are big differences between being a manager and being an individual sales rep. I think first and foremost, when you're a sales rep, you have to be greedy with your time. And what I mean by that is that you literally equate time to money. Every minute you waste selling or chasing bad deals, not trying to focus in on the things that are going to bring in revenue, that's money that's out of your pocket. That's a very different perspective when you become a manager because when you're a manager, you're there to help your reps get better. So you can't be greedy of your time. You have to be generous of your time because your success isn't based upon you closing deals. It's based upon the success of your reps closing deals. And that's a really, really hard lesson. And it was a hard lesson for me because typically people that get promoted into sales management and sales leadership are usually the top sales performers. And so now instead of being the person that's in front of the room, they have to take a back seat. They have to lead by coaching, not by taking the lead and taking the reins and, and carrying the deal home. That's actually really counterproductive because you want your reps to be super successful. I say that about sales, but you could talk about this in terms of technology roles and project management roles and marketing roles because being a manager is kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. And no one, not a lot of companies actually give you the skills to become really good managers. But that seems to be particularly the case in sales where they just figure, well, oh, well, you became a sales rep, you figured it out. So you'll just figure it out by becoming a sales manager. And it's funny because there's a, a really good friend of mine by the name of Mike Weinberg who wrote this really great book called uh, New Sales Management Simplified. And I've he just literally hits this topic dead center and says the biggest challenge is that sales managers generally aren't taught to be sales managers. Mark explained that he started the enterprise sales meetup because he saw a gap in the community that needed to be filled. I started it. It's now going past 18 months. And when I started, it was at a point in time where I was working with a lot of, a lot of startups and I was working with a lot of startups because I was actually investing in a lot of companies in the B2B tech space, mostly here in New York City, and advising a bunch of companies. 
And I noticed that the same thread applied to all of the organizations I was working with is that they were just really challenged around sales. You had founders trying to figure out sales and they didn't really have the, the skills, the experience to do sales very effectively. You had a lot of younger folks that are coming into these uh, startups who didn't have a ton of sales experience. And a lot of people were taking on tactics and sales hacks and trying to cobble together information from blog posts and all these resources. But ultimately, they, they're missing the, the context and they're missing the fundamentals about how to succeed in sales. So I kind of felt that the state of sales was all over the place for many folks who are just starting out in their careers and building companies. And so the enterprise sales meetup community was a way of bringing all that context and bringing people who had really great experience as speakers to share what actually works in B2B sales and also to provide a place where people could feel safe to ask questions and get advice. So ultimately, it's a way for people to treat sales as a profession, give them access to the tools and knowledge and experience to grow, learn, and succeed in sales. So I truly believe that anyone, almost anyone, could be really great at sales. It just takes a lot of hard work, persistence, and building up those skills. What do you think is the biggest challenge for reps in B2B sales, and what skills do you see reps most often looking to improve when they come to the meetup? There's really two different ways, or two different things, if you will, that come in terms of challenges. It's mostly for people that are more experienced, the challenge of thinking that they don't need to learn anything. So it's a really dangerous place because when you've had a good run of success in sales, it's easy to get lazy and to go and go and cruise control. But sales is changing rapidly. And it's because buyers are changing. They have different expectations. There's Things are happening a little bit faster. And so it's incumbent upon sales professionals to be alert and understand these, these trends. And on the flip side, for folks that are a little bit earlier in their careers, it's just building up those core set of skills and fundamentals. So just being able to ask good questions, to build rapport, how to speak, how to speak to business value. And those types of conversations, again, don't come naturally. It takes a lot of experience, a lot of having very uncomfortable conversations to get to a point where you, you feel you found your rhythm. And there's ways of actually helping to get get reps to find that rhythm and to be comfortable in those types of conversations. Then there's also, I'd say, like maybe even third area where it's just understanding kind of the new things that are happening in sales. So right now, things like social selling, the whole arena of sales enablement is really interesting and fascinating. People are just trying to figure out ways of being more effective and efficient in their work. Also part of that is just all the wealth of tools and technologies and processes that are out there, you're having a place where you can go to maybe get introduced to those things is really helpful. Now it's time for top three. What are your top three metrics that you look at to measure sales success? My perspective is going to be uh, in the enterprise sales arena. So the, the metrics that matter most to me when I've been managing teams even as an individual contributor, as well as when I help advise uh, startups and growth stage companies, is three key ones, which is deal activity. So are reps making enough calls, setting up enough meetings, connecting with enough 
contacts within an account. And the reason that's important is that it shows or helps to show what the likelihood of a deal is of closing. You know, deals that don't have a lot of activity going on you know, tend to get drawn out. Things happen. You're introducing a lot of risk and a lot of unknowns and uncertainty. So being able to see deal activity is really, really helpful to understand what is the health of a specific deal. Then a little bit broader is pipeline volume. So how many active deals is the team actually working? What's the expected time to close? What's the overall potential revenue that we're looking at? And so that gives a perspective of the broader numbers, both from an individual contributor standpoint, as well as a team standpoint. And then lastly, I look at transition rates. And all that simply means is looking at the drop-off between, uh, between deals at various different stages, starting all the way from lead to close. And that shows how, how effective your team is. It also provides some warning signs in terms of, are there things in our process that may be broken? So as an example, if I take a look at my dashboard, I see a high revenue opportunity hasn't had any activity in a while, that could be a red flag that says maybe we're losing a bit of momentum, we're losing some steam. Or I can take a look at the pipeline and see that we have a large drop-off between our demo stage and the next sales stage. And so that can make me think along two different perspectives. It may, it may tell me that the, the demos that we're doing aren't that, that effective, and maybe we need to revisit that. Or perhaps... Maybe we're not doing a good enough job on the qualification side. Maybe we're making it too easy for people to qualify through our process. Why is disqualification specifically so important in sales? <laughs> Why is having a giant pipeline full of tons of deals actually not that great? This is so symptomatic to just so many, particularly startups. Because you look at you look at all the deals that you may have in your in your pipeline, you say to yourself, wow, we are, we're going we're gonna to crush it this quarter. And the reality is it's probably not. Mm-hmm. And I do have to give a caveat here because based on the type of sale that you have, a huge pipeline may not necessarily be such a bad thing. Right? You want a healthy pipeline. And when you're doing a lot of transactional type sales, where you're churning through a lot of smaller deals, it makes sense to have a large pipeline. But when you're involved in a complex sale, you know, having a huge pipeline could be problematic because it's, it ends up being a huge time suck. And the reality is that only a small percentage of deals will ever truly convert to revenue. So the bigger and more complex the sale, the more time, the more resources you need to dedicate to each one of those deals. And this is, this is a function of pipeline load, which means that you really need to balance the level of business that you have in your pipeline with the resource you have available to support those deals. Because... Uh, in certain in certain circumstances, you may have a lot of solution or sales engineers that need to be involved. You may build a lot of custom demos or proof of concepts. There may be bake-offs. You may have to generate some proposals and RFP responses and so on. And all that takes a lot of time. So I tell teams, you've got to qualify hard. But it's not just about qualification as one step in the process. You should always be continuously qualifying as a gut check at every stage of the deal. As the deal advances, do that gut check. Ask those hard questions. In fact, um, one of my uh, my friends who leads sales over at Acquia, he has this really great perspective that before a deal can get to the next stage, 
you got to ask these three to five questions. And if you don't have the answer to those questions, that deal cannot advance. Now, I think that's actually a really good perspective on making sure you're collecting the right data points to help gauge whether you're, or not you actually have a, a real deal on the table. And you're dealing with the people that have the authority, need, urgency, and the money to buy. Right. That's where you have, you know, the BANT, CHAMP, whatever acronym of your choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it seems to be like a lot of them. They've, they've kind of uh, uh, evolved over the years. And I do... They seem I to be getting the, longer. <laughs> That's what well, I've one. noticed. Did you read that? Uh, there was a great blog post by uh, Peter Caputo of HubSpot where he talks about like BANTs and and Anum and Champ. And then he has this one at the end, which I, I think it's like like 26 letters long. <laughs> what? <laughs> Now, now that is a qualification process. So you also talk a lot about small data and why it's actually more valuable than big data in sales. So why is that? Well, big data is definitely the, the big sexiness in tech in the moment, right? So big data right. is for that. But big data is only relevant if you're dealing with big data sets. And particularly in B2B sales, you don't have big data sets. You have smaller data sets. you got to use those data sets to give you a better guideline as to what is actually going on in your in your deals, in your pipeline, in your organization. And so you don't have because you don't have these large public data sets that you can work with, you're dealing with these smaller sets of data on the deals and the accounts and the activities you, that you're gathering over time. And that's why I talk about small data. But you have, even though a smaller volume of data, you have the intimacy of the data. So you're able to, to drill down and get to some real details. And that allows you to actually see anomalies in your sales data to give you maybe fair warning of potential downstream issues. And so that's the way you can now leverage data more effectively. Instead of getting into the big, like, we need to collect all the data sets, I tell people, you don't have, you don't necessarily have the time or resources to collect everything. Mm. But Collect the things that matter. Mark is also the managing director of Birch Ventures, a seed stage investment firm and enterprise sales advisory service for SaaS startups. He explained that at the seed stage, he often doesn't have a lot of data to work with to evaluate his investments. Every investor has their own themes and criteria that they use to evaluate and invest. So no one set of metrics can truly tell you whether an investment is going to be going to be a great investment or not. You know, the other thing is that at the early at the early stage where I invest, the challenge is that you don't have a lot of data really to work with. And particularly at the seed stage, you may not even have any sales data. So it's important to, to gather the points of, of information you can that at least show you some guidance as to whether there is potentiality here or not for a particular startup in the team. So the things that I look at may not necessarily be the hard quantitative numbers, but it's more about the qualitative. So what does the early product look like? What does the team look like? What, What about the handful of customers that they have? What does the market potential look like? Their ability to execute. What does the team accomplish before in their own endeavors? And are they seeing some level of customer validation solution? So those are things that are, are more important at the seed stage. You know, you're dealing with these kind of baby 
startups that don't have really involved sales teams yet. So how do you advise your portfolio companies to build their teams? What are the first pieces of sales advice that you give? I just actually uh, wrote a post about this, which talks about how you need to evolve your sales strategy based on the, the maturity of the startup. So when I invest, the startups are generally pretty early on. But there's actually, from what I've seen and how I've seen some of my startups grow, I've defined four specific distinct levels of startup growth. So you're either in the pre-product discovery phase, where the product you're, you're just developing a product. You have product market hypothesis, where you have a product and maybe a few beta customers. Then you have that pre-scale momentum, where you have you know, some more customers, you're bringing in revenue, you have a clear idea as to what the value proposition is. And then lastly, you have growth trajectory. So when you have a lot more things buttoned down, you know what your value proposition market is, and now you're really stepping on the gas. And at each stage, there's very different and specific needs uh, regarding how you how you look at sales, how you look at organization, how you hire, what your process is. One of the things that I do generally recommend though, particularly for companies at the earliest of stages, is be very careful about trying to hire in some senior sales executive. Like I've seen too many startups think, oh, I need a VP of sales. But you also don't have a product <laughs> to speak of. So <laughs> what are they going to sell? And, right. also, and also the function of a sales executive is to help create, well, I shouldn't even say create, but to help refine repeatability in your sales process. So early on, you don't really have a sales process because you're just trying to figure out all these other questions. And as founders, your job is to help to try to find what that repeatability is so that then when you get to the stage, when you have enough customers and you have a little bit more momentum, then you can bring in a sales executive to help build out the organization. So when I was doing research for this episode, I, of course, went to your website and I think it might have been the best website I've ever been to. I literally showed it to all of my coworkers. I was like, what is happening on the site? It's amazing. So for those of you that have not seen it, it's essentially half sales quotes, half metal music. So you obviously love metal. And uh, how does it inspire you to work in sales? Uh, <laughs> I've always been a fan of... Uh more extreme music. Uh, I've always taken an approach of trying not to take things too seriously. And I've had some pretty serious roles in, in my life. And, but I try not to get too caught up in the career, especially in sales. It could be truly all encompassing and it's competitive and you want to win all the time. And there's huge ups and huge downs. And so for me, music is, Metal, is it's the music, it's enjoyable, but it's also my escape and it's also my passion. It's the music I grew up listening to and it was a music that formed my, my first bands and inspired me to go out there and be a musician and play in front of a whole bunch of people. So for me, I, I always tell folks, I would try to remind them, that, you know, even in the thick of things, when things are crazy and insane, don't let work take you over. It's so easy to go there. Try to find something you're passionate about and dedicate some time to it. Because, you know, look, 
you know, we we have a certain amount of time on this on this world to live our lives, and so work is great. You got to do that, and that's there's a lot of fun there. There's also a lot of fun just jamming out to some some Megadeth or Metallica or whatever your breed of music is. Now it's time for risky business. Mark was a little hesitant to share this story, but I'm really glad he did. So, not a lot of people know this, but I used to uh, I used to put together dirt bikes, and I didn't know anything about mechanics, engineering, engines. But it was me and a few friends I knew from school, and and mind you, we were doing this as middle schoolers, and we had this big, huge back area. It was all forested. There was nothing back there. And there'd been an abandoned construction site. And we would just, you know, build things back there. And then one day we found this, this abandoned dirt bike and we just started taking it apart and trying to make it go. And it took like months. We we're trying to figure this thing out. And eventually we got to actually start, you know, who's the biggest idiot. Well, I'm the biggest idiot because I was like, oh, yeah, let me ride it. <laughs> we put up some ramps and we built like this big, huge, like dirt bike obstacle course. And I go around and things are actually okay. So I go over the first ramp, hit it, landed. I was cool. Go up the second ramp, jumped, landed well. It was cool. At the third one, uh, the wheel fell off. Oh my God. <laughs> and I crash landed and I just sat, I, I don't know even how long I was like sitting on the ground, but <laughs> I was, I, I was, I was pretty much out cold. And to this day, I, I still wonder how I didn't break anything and didn't go straight to the hospital. Cause that thing was in a bazillion pieces. We had dirt bike parks all over the place. And there I am covered in dust bruised up, just bashed all over the place. I ached for like two weeks, but uh, yeah, I was really, really lucky. I don't necessarily the dangerous, but definitely the stupidest thing I've done. If you'd like to learn more about Mark Birch or attend the Enterprise Sales Meetup in your city, visit enterprisesalesmeetup.com. Mm-hmm.